0: CEOs Speak is an exclusive BitBeam podcast series featuring interviews of hundreds of skilled and talented CEOs who share their strategies for leading some of the country's most successful companies. Join Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, as he uncovers the heart and soul of today's business leaders.
1: Today we have with us Jamie Skratz. Who is an architect. He's a partner in the firm Rains and Strass, a, a company that is quite diversified in the architectural projects, uh, from residents to synagogues to mikviz to, uh, office buildings. And he does it not only here in Miami, but he does it out of the country. He's a, go- a global company as well. Welcome. Happy to have you. Thank you so much. I, uh, I'm curious. I'm always curious. And I always tell about this conversation is you're really a young gentleman. Usually the CEOs that I introduce, or that I interview are a bit older. So the question, uh, usually brings a big smile to their place. And, and the question is I'd like to know where you are today. And when you look back in the early years going back to your grade school, is your continuity? Now usually when I ask those gentlemen of a as I said, a build older age, to have to think far back and they have a big smile, and then wonderful things come out. But I'm still going to pounce on you with that question. Let's go back to your grade school, your early years. Was What was your interest? Was your interest always in art? Were you inspired by, by your folks? Was it something within the family? Uh, how did it come about? Were you drawing that's that's cartoons? That's Were you drawing on the wall of your home? Is your mother still... Cleaning up while you're architect- yes.
0: <laughs> It's a it's a great question. Um so basically the answer is yes. Um ever since I was young, I didn't necessarily know it was gonna be architecture. Um my family has been very involved in the arts and real estate. My grandfather, um, when they came from Cuba. He was born in Cuba. And when he came here, uh, one of the things that the family business got into was starting on real estate and acquisition and development and all of that. So from a very young age, I was always around the family business and just a- around the development world. Um, at the same time, my grandfather, his father, they were also artists. Um, so art was something that was surrounding me as a young child. Um, and. It's a little bit cheesy, but yes, I would play with Lego. And I love playing with Lego. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, A plus so B did, equals did they, C. Did
1: they incorporate any of your designs in their books? And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure uh, can, not yet. Really.
0: That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, and then uh, in terms of architecture, I really owe it all to my um, one of my high school teachers, um, my art professor, Saw that I had a potential and saw my, my, um, my skills and actually made a class for me, uh, for basically me and uh, myself that he said, Hey, you have an interest in architecture. Let's do a course in architecture in high school. I had no idea. So I'm not sure. We'll do it. And then I was like, This I love. Um, so when I was going to college, I already knew, you know, exactly what I wanted to do. And, um,
1: so, uh, the rest so of the history, some of the points that you said, number one, how far back does your family go in Cuba? Most of us really never met uh, someone from Cuba. What, what's Sure. Your
0: so my great grandfather went pre World War One. Uh, they went from Poland to Cuba. Um, my grandparents were born in Cuba. My mom was born in Cuba, and there, then they left there, right was before Was there Castro. a
1: community? Was there a community?
0: Sure. Sure. Um, the Sephardic Jews were actually the first to be in Cuba. Um, and they were already there late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so when my grandfather was born the, the, the first schools were Sephardic. So he would go there. Um, and then the rest of the community evolved from there. And, uh, fast forward to to now, and I actually go to, uh, Temple Moses here, which is the Sephardic Turkish Cuban congregation. So it kind of went full circle uh, for me there. But, um, yeah, they left right as Castro was taking power um, Shre- came to Miami and then to North Carolina.
1: Straz is what kind of a name? That's not a, a Polish no, name.
0: No, my father is Lithuanian.
1: <laughs> so. You, they had artistic talents. In what way did, were they artists? I mean, you say they were artists, but were they doing
0: painting? Yeah, painters, painters, painters. drawing. And were they trained? And art, art they, collectors as well.
1: Were they trained painters? In other words, this was sort of a not a navigation more of a vacation? or they just dabbled uh, in it. I, I don't
0: believe uh it was ever formal training. Um, I, I don't believe anybody ever had formal training.
1: So you took up art, uh, I saw some of your art, which is interesting. Uh, why architecture versus art? The, the um, pure art, the artist. Art I love. And then you can vagabond around the world, you know, and say, I'm an artist. You're responsible to um, know it.
0: I, I just, something drew me to architecture, very much so that, you know, um I, I couldn't really describe it. There's something that I really enjoy with architecture that knowing every little inch that every line that I put on a piece of paper will might not even knowingly, but subconsciously affect somebody's daily life, you know, and some that to me was a very profound impact on my life. You know, that one line has so much power, um, you know, even if you're doing somebody's closet or bathroom or whatever it is, it don't have to be some grand Project, but we have a, the ability to affect and improve somebody's life. You know, I found that to be a very empowering
1: uh, skill. I'm in marketing, and one of one of the rules of marketing that I adhere to is niche marketing. Finding niche yeah. that you're very good at. You're very diversified. Yeah, uh, I've read. A lot of architects find that niche and they became known in that niche and they build up reputation and so on. Why the diversification rather than the niche?
0: So when I was doing my training, I was at a very large corporation, um, and they were very focused on one thing and that was mostly, uh, government contracts. Uh, so we did a lot of uh, public, uh, bathrooms, youth centers, fire stations, stuff like that. Um, and it was very, very focused on this one niche that I saw toward the end also ran the risk of that was also very relationship based, um, uh, jobs, you know, because you, you would submit, yes, it was very merit based and there was, uh, requests for proposals and everyone would have to be, you know, examine fairly but I, to me it was also a very high risk um, yeah. unless you got into a very detailed niche that was um, you know um, the people that I saw successful would be schools educational um, sometimes medical as well I just felt more from where I saw things going um, and I guess that entrepreneurship hat that I think diversification is the way to go. Um, and what I try to sell myself on to clients is not necessarily an extreme knowledge wealth of, I know everything. Um, my mantra that I tell people is I will tell you, I do not know. And I'll tell you immediately, I do not know and we'll figure it out together. I do not pretend to know everything and I don't, and I've noticed a lot of people have had bad relationships with, especially in any professional service industry, when they get involved with somebody and they pretend to know everything they're talking about. Now, sometimes maybe they really do. You know, they are the world's expert in everything, you know, which I haven't met that person yet. So for me, that's kind of the most important thing um, that I like to bring to the table and that is important for me when meeting clients, you know, it's also, you know, communication. And I like the aspect of having a small firm that's diversified and it allows us to adapt to uh, whatever the needs are. Because for example, we've had clients where we've done their house um, and then they give me a call. You know what? I'm also developing a property. Can you look at that for me as well? You know, so it's that relationship takes priority over the specialization in one sector Um, because what we're doing is we're really building relationships with clients
1: it's, uh, the, the comment you just made about being wise and not knowing all the answers is interesting, I, I'm doing a compilation of a lot of the interviews that I did and there was quite a number of them when asked, what did you wish you knew before you saw it it was exactly that point that you don't know it all, and look outside for for advice, and and respect the fact that you have your limitations, and there's only so much that you know, and 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 look for mentors, look for guys, and keep on learning. It's very interesting. And, and a lot of them have yeah. uh, points that came through their experience. I just want to go back for a moment. So your grandparents were artists uh, during uh, back, I think two generations where I understood it. Uh, your grandfathers was that something still when you were growing up was that in the family uh and was there uh like when you started doing your legos or whatever you were doing was this uh your parents sort of encouraged you or they just observed you when you were doing your thing was it in the yeah in the atmosphere of the family or just your, your very atmosphere?
0: much so the atmosphere very supportive family um in whatever form of arts, you know, if it was an art music, um, or, you know, in my architecture career, uh, they were very supportive. Um, you know, I literally, you know, would go with my grandfather to meetings, you know, I would get to learn about how the business world was from a very young age, especially in the real estate development world. Um, you know, all the way then to going to museums and drawing together and, learning how to think and problem solve together. Um, you know, I, I'm really invaluable to everything where I'm at because of my grandfather. Um, you know, he really helped, you know, create that for me. Um, and, uh, and just to be clear in Cuba, they weren't painters professionally. They were uh wholesale uh, clothing supply, or they were just schmata dealers, basically in, in Cuba.
1: You know, those of us who are not from, the, you know, again, that's a very uh, narrow slice of our background as a, as a people. So we have no real strong image of what life was like. What was life? What did you pick up from them? Were, were they accepted by, you know, it's a Christian country? Uh, I think Paul I said, you know, the, 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 the Latinos are very religious. Were they able, was there any conflict or were they able to become uh,
0: Really, to my understanding, it was the golden age in Cuba. Um, they, the, the Jewish community, Sephardic nationalists were thriving, thriving pre-Castro. Um, now it's, there's nothing. Um, but, you know, the documents, you know, speaking to family members, looking at bold documents and newspapers and all of that. I mean, it was thriving. Like my grandmother, um, her father had, at 1.3 kosher restaurants in Cuba. Um, you know, like, it, it was, I would say, kind of like the Miami now of that, you know, had a lot of tourism, you know, um, and yeah, I'd probably describe it like that. It was the Miami, you know, that is yeah. now that we're used to.
1: So the interesting point as an artist and architect, uh, architect, what has that influenced you from the artistic side? What what uh both in terms of what you absorbed from your family, uh, going back into Cuba and their style and the way they looked at things, uh, even you know, architecture my mind is really reflective of a culture. It's not a building. The architect is probably is speaking to the people of the now and, and they absorb what's going on and it's somewhat Slightly ahead of the trend the way the future is. So you're very aware of, of you know, you mentioned in, in your resume, interesting to me that, that you, you intake from art, you take, you intake from sculpture, you also intake from journalism, uh, which is interesting to me. So it's artistic temperament to be able to look around, be curious about things, to think about it, and then apply it. That's the way the creative mind works. So looking at yourself, your style, your, your and how you look at things, how would you define yeah. it with that background?
0: So I honestly did not, until recently, was able to
1: describe it.
0: Um, one of my very close friends, um, Jonatas Chimin, he's a Brazilian-American, now French artist. Um, very, very close. We do a lot of art together. And he's founded a group called Chada. Doesn't stand for anything. Just a it's a cute name. And um, really, we, you know, we started talking philosophy and art and all of that. And I described, because something that I hold very important in my art and architecture is I, I, I don't. We we learn from the past. There's a reason why we have gotten to where we are in. Whatever it may be, you know, let's use a roof, for example. There's a reason why we have developed certain roofs in different areas around the world over thousands of years. Um, the second we throw that out to the window and put in novel ideas, that's usually when something goes wrong. Um, I am. So I always thought of myself as a neoclassicist, not necessarily that I would be classical in design, but meaning I look to the past to help inform the future. Um, and I like to do it in a clean, modern way. Now, to my understanding is, from what I've learned, that is really it would be considered metamodernist. Um, so it's somebody who has that romanticist feeling uh, that was there, but we're applying it to modern culture with whether it be entrepreneurship and business or uh, design with a modern take and all of that. But it's taking those old world values and concepts and bringing them with you, the past and forward and moving it all together. Instead of, you know, a lot of modernist was throwing away the past and only looking at the future. Then we went all the way back to the past and forget the future and all of that. So now it's kind of where, where I see things is kind of this, this, um, this melding point of we're holding the line in both directions while progressing forward.
1: So, uh, when you say we, are you talking about the general uh, world of architecture where it is today? Uh, are you influenced I, by the world?
0: I, I would say of, of, of like-minded people, you know, so there is a movement of metamodernists. Um not so much necessarily, there are some that won't define themselves in terms of architecture from that. Um and also let me say really clearly also, practically, you know, also I'm a businessman as well. So if I have a client that wants something, you know, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability of what they want. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't view myself necessarily as this big time, uh, what the, the term they use is star architect designer, you know, and right. forget that eh, maybe one day, who knows, but that's not really in my personality. Um, you know, I like problem solving for people more so than imposing a, a, a design onto them. So there are these movements that are out there of like-minded people.
1: You mentioned a word that struck me in the conversation, romanticist. Uh, and, and the reason why, first of all, uh, romanticist goes back, uh, and, and, you know, we very much in, in many of the arts, the, the whole desire was to move away from it, uh, you know, particularly when you got into on. And the turn of the cubism and all that way back in you know, on that period and so on and and forth and then it's interesting in, in graphic design mm-hmm. even today but certainly 10 20 years ago retro became very very popular mm-hmm. uh you paint you do this a little bit of a retro and i think one of the the work you did or if i remember or maybe that. So let's talk about romantic integrates. To me, romantics I think, more than anything, by the way, I admit I'm a romantist. I love classical music, and it's Beethoven, Tchaikovsky. I always say I stop going to concerts when Beethoven died. I cancel my subscription. But Tchaikovsky, you know, the real hardcore is and, and I often reflect and I ask myself, is that a Jewish nature? And, and I'll, i explore this for a moment. I think we're, we're, our makeup is more emotional. We, we're, we're not afraid of emotions. Uh, yeah. certainly as an artist, we're not afraid of emotions. We live with emotions. Uh, our experience as a people, uh, the ups and downs, the pains and the sufferings, you know, makes us much more on the surface, that awareness. Uh, and, and that's, so I'm leading up to the point that I want to ask is, where does your, your, your Jewish background, your Jewish culture, your Jewish education, your Jewish life fit into that? Hmm. Fit into that. And, and turn finding no, it, you.
0: It, it's a great question. Um, you know, for me, myself, I'm a Baltician. And one of the things is, you know, that I, Find myself very close with, like, you know, um, it, it's funny because I go to a Sephardic shul now. I'm not Sephardic. My family's Ashkenaz. Um, my family's from like Slonim, Lvov, uh, my father's side Lithuania. Um, you know, so I have these tendencies, like, I like, Hasidic leanings, if you want to call it that. Um, and there's just something. About it that just has this feeling that so it, it influences everything, you know, literally everything in my life is inter- interwoven, basically. Um, you know, for example, I'm working on a Becca design, uh, with a tailor in New York, um, that's using some of my prints that I custom designed myself on the inside, um, you know, that reflect my heritage, uh, and, and my, my Cuban culture from that perspective. And, you know, it's, it's really, I I can't separate any of it because, you know, I'll I'll tell you if it's from me and my partner are both from, and it's, you know, if it's a totally different perspective in conducting business, um, where we find ourselves comparing to other people, you know, there are things that come up business wise that we just won't do compared to other people and we will lose business because of it. And for us, you know, it doesn't, you know, seem right, um, from my art. You know, um, a lot of my art is, at least my current series and thinking is reinterpreting um, old stories and feelings in a modern perspective of how I see things, you know, because, you know, like, you know, my, my point of view is, you know, we've seen the same picture over and over again, a million times, you know, uh, you have to speak for the generation of where we are now to get the you know get this new, either new feelings or same feelings across um it, 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 I, I don't necessarily really see it as influencing my art and architecture or anything from that perspective as much as it is all intertwoven into my life um you know i did a study in college on you know uh what beauty is in architecture school, um, and one of the things I wrote about after you know doing research is, you know, what will the basement English look like in the, when it when it comes, and it's, you know, it, it's a reflection. Beauty is a reflection of where we are at in time, and beauty's relative and it changes, you know. Um, to say it's going to end up being a glass building or who knows what, you know, but. Um, we ended up at certain design elements, you know, uh, the first and second of, you know, a reflection of what beauty is at that time. You know, beauty is an ever-evolving thing. Um, and, you know, I don't believe we should only stay in the past, you know, and that's why you have to have the past and move forward, you know, and we have a idea, you know, from Shamal Melech, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And that, when the first time I learned about that in high school, you know, it's like, it, it struck me very, very hard. And that is that metamodernist romanticist idea of once you put yourself into that perspective of knowing that, you know, you're not creating something out of nothing. There really is nothing to understand. And then from there really helps inform and control your, your designs um, from that perspective, you know, for sure. It's a methodology that I hold to be very true, um, you know, in life and, you know, in art and architecture as well. You know, you still can create new, you know, but you're learning from the past to inform the future.
1: Did you point to a number of your projects where you had complete freedom where the client said, I trust you and "I, I I trust your skill, I trust your talent, and here's what I need and you look at these range of projects and say there's a core uh there's a thread of, of design of this rendered design that I've called this that if you look at that and, and that one and that one you can see where it all comes together this aspect of me where, where it just it, it, it comes out because that's who I am today and it's the evolution of my upbringing, my education, my my, my Judaism, all of them come together and you can see a continuity between the a number of projects could you could you point would you be able to point to them and say that reflects what I mean by Amanda Ma- 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 الا-
0: this is a very good question um, I would say one of the projects that i I, I really enjoyed doing um is I mean there's several but there's one of the homes that's called K Residence and that's in Miami Beach and one of the things that I liked about that house is literally it was informed by the neighborhood surrounding it um, it wasn't necessarily a replication of the Art Deco mid-century um, modern um, different elements found there but they were all it, it, it's a modern home that is reflective of, again, what the owner liked, you know, and was the design brief of the home. Um, but there are elements that are taken from the surrounding areas and wasn't just like, uh, Disney reused, um, in a way to make it fit. It was rethought, um, into highlighting certain elements, uh, from the past that have been developed and, you know, were signatures of those areas, you know, that I felt like I could put you know, my own touch on it. Um, even, even down to, uh, other projects where, um, it might not necessarily be so obvious, you know, to the person is, um, like, uh, the art gallery that we just showed in December. Um, I posted and I show it and describe actually that was influenced by, um, and completely other architect Alvar alto that I found of, uh, uh, a, a a floor plan of his that he did in Baghdad in the 1950s for a museum and i go, that's the solution that's the solution i've been trying to think of you know for this um space you know it was a temporary installation it's not necessarily about how the design of it how it looks but it was about the feeling how do you feel walking through the space um and getting it from there um you know down to uh you know i feel like one of the ones i had a lot of fun with is the exterior of uh of a hardware store that i did um, which there's no design necessary for a hardware store, you know, but we were able to clean it up and I was able to put some certain, um, uh, core beliefs that I have into that design and just very simple things. Because I do believe of, you know, if a client didn't ask for it, you can't make them spend money on something they didn't ask for. However, within the brief of what the client wants, um, there is opportunity for good design and to have it thought out and clean, you know, and that's a lot of the fun and the challenge.
1: Do, does your thinking in red and lean to products that you look around the house and think, you know, I would redo the silver, I would redo the trash can or whatever, because it's just the way you look at things?
0: Um, yes and no. Uh, I'll give one example, which is cute, is um, when we were moving into our new house, we had a space constraint of, I need more cabinet space in the kitchen. Uh, I need to find a pantry. I can't find anything. There was nothing, whatever. And I was walking in Ikea one day, and I'm like, they had a, a shelving system that was like a roll-up garage door, and it was, made, it was in the office section. Well, hold on a second. That's perfect for the kitchen. It's exactly the size and space we need. So I got that, and then I custom-made a piece of glass to go on top of it and dress it up, and it doesn't look like... Um, Oh, sorry. And it doesn't look like uh office shelving anymore. And it's everybody's favorite part of the house is you know, I I put effort into other stuff too with the house and I'm like, everybody's talking about the Ikea rolling ca- you know, storage cabinet I put a piece of glass on top of. I didn't do anything to it, you know, like that that was it. You know, and that's the that's the big hit. But um no, it's just I find it with everything, you know, I have to have a say in it. You know, like even like uh I, I bought a new matza cover for Pesach. I'm like, okay, but can we, we modify it a little bit and make something yeah, I was about to me, ask,
1: but- I, I, I was about to ask, uh, uh, is life difficult for you because every time you look at something, your mind starts running, I can simplify it, I could do this, yeah. you know, it gets frustrating after a while.
0: It really does. My wife's also very tired of me hearing how I would like to do things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, well, she didn't know it was coming along with the marriage, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to touch a little bit also on the fact that you go to a uh, cuban Sephardic turkish synagogue,
0: which yeah. is
1: really interesting. First of all, are, are there a lot of Turkish Jews in in in, the, in Miami? I, I never yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I, the funny thing is, I mean, it's sad, um, but you know, it's very it's an interesting stories. Um, when I went to college here at University of Miami, um, and I was meeting people that said, uh, we're, we're Jubans also, you know, and I'm like, what's your name? Never heard of you, you know, and then I found out there's this thing called there were Sfardi people in Cuba. I had no idea because the, the communities were so separate.
1: Mm.
0: Unfortunately, they didn't talk. Um, so that's also one of the things that I'm very conscious of here is, you know, I'm trying to make, <laughs> I guess, make amends for, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong what they were doing. That was just common back in the day, you know, in the 30s, 40s, 50s.
1: I I think part of the reason why I I imagine because the customs are very different on both sides. Sure. And and they're very strong in the customs. They are.
0: But at the same time, like, you know, they were a big community in Cuba, but they were also still very small. You know, Uh, so I assumed in Cuba they would have had more of a connection. Right. Um, well, for whatever reason, you know, right. they weren't, right. you know, right. but I love it. It reminds me of home a lot. You know, a lot of the families and especially right. the older people remind me of my grandparents right. and, you know, right. it's, it's right. nice.
1: I remember one night I lived in the for quite some time and a very close friend of mine, the Colonel guy, uh, was a musician and his mother came to visit. I still never forgot that fr- Friday night sooner the amount of dishes that she served. It was like endless. <laughs> I think I'm still trying to lose weight from it. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm just wondering: has that sort of seeped into who you are, into who Jamie Ranz is today? That fact that that culture, that synagogue, the people there, do you read through that? Is that uh, also? I, I would
0: like I would say so because it kind of leads into my mentality of, like, you know, I have. My very strong family traditions, you know, at the same time, I'm also, you know, I I acknowledge I'm a little bit of a trollant of everything, you know, and I love that, you know, and I love, especially in Miami, we have a very big mix of people that get along. Um, I I, think it's
1: also, you know, artists are curious. They do want to know about everything. And and, and. and they're, they're always sort of looking over there to see, oh, that's interesting. Let me find out about that. And it becomes a part of them. You're also on the board of, of, of a Miami design or, or you're on a board. Just explain that. Yeah. Your sure. yeah.
0: So that actually is a little old. I got to update that. Um, but for several years, I was on the executive, uh, city appointee for the Miami Design Preservation League on the executive board. Um, one big problem we have, which almost every city of any age has, is uh destruction of history. Um, and, for example, the iconic view everybody has of Miami Beach, of the Art Deco buildings in South Beach, you know, everybody uses for a graphic when they say Miami. Um, that was all about to be destroyed in the 70s, you know, and it, take, it took one activist to say, hey, we need a historic district here and the start. And you know, something I've struggled with, you know, of, you know, listen, we're not really historic. You know, how old is Miami? We're not that old. hundred years. What is that? You know, but it is something that shouldn't be thrown to the wayside. I live in a historic district, actually, um, in the community I'm in, you know, and you see there's great. It, it it It's a big life lesson of just because not everything is, let's say, award winning, mm-hmm. but it's the collection of the whole which is really the essence, you know? So it kind of goes into like, you're nothing special on your own, right. but you together with a group of people in a community, that's what makes something special. Um, so it was a very, it's it was a very um, important learning le- uh, lesson, you know, being involved with that organization, you know, and and being involved in preservation as well. Um, you know, I don't believe, you know, things should stay stagnant and you preserve and excuse me. And it's, um, you know, uh, we don't have that necessarily that type of history, you know, but it should be influenced again into the future. And the same trope I've been saying over and over again, you know, but uh, it's important.
1: I, I, I would think that even a short-term history of a hundred years is still a history and yeah. we're preserving because it's the city and, and, and letting go of the history is letting go of part of, of the fabric of the city and, and the importance of the city as a whole.
0: And, you know, and it's important also. It's not just the bricks. It's uh preservation could be bringing back what the culture was, what what it was, you know. So, like, for example, a lot of these areas used to be very walkable, mixed use, a lot of retail. And then the retails died over the years, you know, became more residential or whatnot. So preservation could also be going back to that, fixing communities, you know, like that. It's a very multifaceted thing that people think it's only, hey, you just want to save old buildings. You know, it's not just that. There's more to it.
1: You are an artist and architect by nature, starting at very early age. But running a company is I I always call it the six hats. You're in a sense a, a CEO, uh, you're responsible for whatever employees that that you have and salaries and cash flows and uh, teamwork and, and morale and all of that. Now you grew up in a family of business so maybe it was easier for, to adapt to that, but it's still a different type they don't coincide and and yeah. how do you find that balance?
0: It's it's one of the hardest things I've ever done going off, uh, in 2014 I went off on my own uh, partnered um, with my partner um, running your own business is one of, it's a blessing and I don't want to say it's a curse, it's hard work it's a lot of hard work that is involved um, and You know, you're you're not just worrying for yourself anymore. You know, you you have to worry about, you know, your employees and the other people from there. So, yeah, I had a great backing from my family, you know, and and coming from my old company where I was. You know, I had a it was a blessing of a situation. The company I was coming from was it was a big hundreds of people sized firm that was actually bought out by an international company. But my department was small. So I got an experience of small firm. And corporate at the same time, um, which was very informative in how I do a lot of my work. You know, nowadays is I know the correct way of how to do it for a small business and how to do it in a corporate sense. Um, and the hard part is sometimes finding the right thing to do, and that middle ground uh, for where you're at in your business. You know, um, obviously we're not a international, large corporate, you know, monster, <laughs> like my old company, you know, but um you, know, you still have to manage lots of things, keep people happy and all of that. But um that was probably the biggest influence was, you know, coming from my old company and learning how to do it. But it, for sure, it's been a learning process and always have to keep learning. I mean, it's it's nonstop. You have to keep up with it.
1: Interesting. It's another one of the things that the CEOs I interviewed put a tremendous emphasis Continue learning. You're always learning. You're always learning. hundred percent. How – yeah, I would say that one of the heavyweights on the shoulder of running a business is a cash flow, particularly with an architectural firm because it's not scalable. You essentially have a project and a project complete, and then hopefully you have another project in the wings, which means that a part of you has to be devoted to getting new business. Does that detract? How do you balance that aspect of your business?
0: Um, it's extremely hard, especially when you're a small business and you are wearing multiple hats. Um, you know, again, that kind of goes back to the corporate world of, you know, in the ideal sense, I can set productivity percentage levels for every single person. I would put myself at a very low productivity percentage level um, and just be networking and doing business growth the whole time. However, that's not really the truth. You know, is I do have a lot of productivity that I have to do on my own as well, you know, for the business to function on a daily level and to grow the business. Um, it's hard, um, especially personality wise. I do not like networking. I never liked it at all. And also I've had some not great experiences doing the traditional routes of networking. Um, it usually does not even apply for architects, what I've noticed, um, where it does work for either smaller professional trades or real estate agents or, you know, it's just about getting as much people as possible. Um, it's a little bit harder, I find, for us, especially in a market where there is a lot of development. Um, there are a lot of architects. Uh, there's always somebody who's going to be cheaper than you, which is very, that's probably, I think that's my biggest challenge is there's always somebody who's cheaper. So it's, we spend a lot of time, and this is what we're currently in process of, of educating potential clients of what it is you really should be looking for, you know, what to look out for, you know, what's a red warning sign when getting a quote from somebody else or whatnot and what we're really offering you. Um, so we do spend a lot of our time and that's something we're trying to develop on our end is that educational aspect uh to better educate themselves of why to go with us so we don't have to spend as much time doing those conversations. Um And to be honest, we do end up hearing a lot from people who we quoted projects for. They didn't hire us and now they have a problem. And then we're there to fix the problem at the end of their project. So that does happen a lot. We do have some repeat projects and clients, you know, even though they're not scalable, again, Um, there is a lot of word of mouth, especially in the residential world, and especially with the New Yorkers moving to Miami in this past year. It's been crazy. Um, everybody and their mother's moving. So, and they all want to renovate wherever they're going. So, uh, that part has been busy.
1: Are you saying that there's someone left who's not moving to Lakewood that's actually moving to Miami? Yeah. (laughs) Everybody here thinks everybody's moving to Lakewood. (laughs) Um, you, you, you said a very interesting point, and, and I was okay to uh, ask you that, just to sort of look at you. you know, I always like to understand CEO, the, 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 which is, you're an architect, you're an artist, you have the sensitivity, you have the eye, and it's you. Do you ever find that when you walk around, you go into shul, and, and let's say it's a Monday morning and you're finished, and, and now everybody's talking around that the conversation doesn't really interest you, that you have nobody that you can talk to about things that interest you, the artistic side or the viewpoint. Uh-huh. Words, you can talk to them, you're cool. But I don't mean that. But there's a limitation in our community of artists of that nature, whether it's architect, writer, or whatever. And there aren't many really people who understand that process. And, and sure. who you could say, you know, I saw this great building. Prince, I'll give you an example. I love architecture. The old, I walked through Manhattan and I'm always looking up at the top of the building. The only guy who looked, you know, probably a strained neck in, in, in New York. And I appreciate it. But there's no one I could tell and say, wow, did you see that building? You know, the oh, next time go by, I look at, you know, whatever. Uh, do you ever find that interesting? I would almost call it slightly off-kilter imbalance.
0: I, I, it's all my entire life is like that <laughs> uh, you know forget the from community or that is always finding that that like minded people who think like you right. I always had a very hard time finding that group of people um, but that being said one of the initiatives I started was starting a group called SOJO which is Society of Jewish Artists specifically to solve that problem of giving a voice For two perspectives of people, meaning in the Jewish art world, we have two problems. We have Jewish artists who don't view themselves as artists, meaning Judaic or whatever. We have artists that are Jewish that don't consider themselves to be Jewish artists. And I go, hold on, we're all doing the same thing here. Let's just at least get together. We can show together. Let's talk, you know, regardless of where you're at in your religious spectrum, you know, as, you know, it's a, a cure of opportunity as well, but as there's a lot to learn from other people and people just need to get together and talk. Um And there is a lot of isolation for us in the world. You know, um our art, we did a show there in Miami Art Week in December and we had one of the fam, one of the uh, artists, uh, she lives in Argentina and she's like, this is a necessity for me because I don't have anybody here. You know, my market is. The Jewish community here and I have nowhere else in the world, you know, and it's very limited for myself of who I can talk to, um, and for growing my business as an artist and just finding, you know, different people in the world, you know, cause New York's its own bubble always. And I think every sector, um, you know, especially in art in the Jewish world, but in every sector. So I, I do have that problem more so in Miami. It's not so bad because there are a lot of real estate developers here. So I also have that hat that I can talk to, you know, people from that perspective. So if it's not design or not art, you know, that is something that does interest me is, you know, the real estate world and development. Uh, so there is a lot of people from that that you can have those conversations with. Um, but, um, yeah, there, there's it's very few. And that's why, you know, it's one of the big don't wait for somebody else to do something for you. Just do it yourself. Um
1: I it's yeah. it's interesting because I remember so I came out of the I, I jumped into Madison Avenue advertising agencies. So I was when yeah. I was able to get the jobs at the agency. And I, I remember going back a long time, almost from the first weeks, so and I'm Friday night in, in, in Sewell, and two of my friends before Dominic. they were all talking about diamonds. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, you think if I told them about the commercial I wrote, they would be interested. You know, I felt like it was a wall. These were very close friends. I went to with them. Yeah. They were in the world of diamonds, you know, and I didn't relate sure. to diamonds, and they didn't understand anything if I said the word commercial, what I'm talking about, or, you know, explain why it was so good, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It's an interesting experience. And, 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 and interesting. I, I created, because of that, here in East Coast, the writing groups uh, give them
0: Amazing.
1: Creativity also to find those and, and create a and co- coalesce those yeah. disparate types of people and give them, like you said, very much a voice, very necessary. Well, I, I appreciate the time. This is totally fascinating. Uh, no, it's
0: uh, my pleasure.
1: Your, your background, is, like you said, this travel background is very rich, uh, because you're able to pull in, you know, different worlds. Was your family Hasidic or Lutheran? And, and, and,
0: and both yeah, both. my mom's okay. side were you know they were from Sonnen, so you know they right. were sonomers and then um my father's side I don't know too much about but you know I assume he was born in Vilna so
1: in Vilna, I okay. doubt
0: he was British. most likely
1: certainly Lisa, whatever. I mean, yeah to yeah know, yeah yeah about it. Uh, yeah. Okay, and let me again thank you. Really appreciate your time. I want to wish you continued success. Amen. And the name to grow and uh to be, yes, that's our architect.
0: Thank you for joining Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, in yet another insightful interview. Be sure to check out more stories from CEOs across the country at bitbean.com forward slash CEOs speak to learn more about what it takes to get to the top and stay there.